I'm recording this on the Monday morning immediately following the 53rd annual installment of that great American gathering of the tribes known as the Super Bowl. There are many things about the Super Bowl that spark the neurons of a media freak such as yours truly. The huge audience it gathers all across the country, mystically focused on one singular happening. The sporting and competitive high drama of it, and the ever-changing definition of what is considered entertaining. The wild, over-the-top explosion of Madison Avenue extravagance and creativity in terms of the commercials. The spectacularly shallow display of today's popular music. It's always spectacularly shallow, in my humble but jaded opinion. And the high-profile marker it represents in measuring our irreversible transition from 20th century analog media to the brave new 21st century noisy world of the digital era. So while it's all fresh in my mind, I turn to one of my favorite media go-to guys, a longtime radio broadcaster and media consultant considered to be one of the smartest and most plugged-in people in the business, as well as being seen weekly on the RT America television platform as host of a program aptly titled The Big Picture. Stand by for a deep-dive conversation into the world of modern radio, television, advertising, entertainment, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and fake news. Our guest this week is Holland Cook. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Interview, the weekly podcast from Podcast One for media freaks, pop culture aficionados, political junkies, and the philosophically curious. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and the Podcast One app, and for following our Tuesday tweets announcing the names of our weekly guests. To sign up, it's at MHinterview. I can be reached directly via email at michael at talkers.com. And if you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, here we go. An uninterrupted conversation with noted media consultant and RT America TV host, Holland Cook. Holland Cook, welcome to the Michael Harrison interview on the morning after Super Bowl 53. I know you're a Patriots fan, so you've got to be basking in a bit of glory. I guess I'm listening to talk radio this morning and all I hear is yawns as a game. It wasn't much of a game and the commercials uh, pretty much disappointed. I found the halftime show loud and unrelatable, although Gladys Knight on the anthem, she alone was worth tuning in. But I wonder if next year's ratings are going to be up. Because this year's show just seemed to be such a disappointment. Uh, at least that's my eye. What do you think? Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting you mentioned that. You covered a few things that are quite interesting in terms of the tone of the times. Um, 
Uh, all year, the National Football League was being described as the new, young, fast, offense-oriented league with high scores. Defenses were taking a backseat to the offenses. And the same thing, you're, you're a big baseball fan, high scores in baseball, lots of home runs, shooting for the fence. And uh, that offense in sports... Uh, is the wave of the present and into the future, uh, and that defense somehow is boring. Now, right. now, now, those of us who go back a few years know that a, a, a no-hitter or a perfect game or a, a real defensive struggle between two teams that are holding each other at bay can be very exciting. But I hear it also this morning, everybody saying, oh, what a boring game. As a, and I, you know, full disclosure, I am also a New England Patriots fan. I found it to be very tense and kind of gut-wrenching knowing that at any moment it could break wide open and, and one drop, one interception could be the, the, the determining factor as to who wins. I didn't find it boring at all. It is a sign of the times that um, the, the pace of our culture is such that defense in sports is now considered boring. What's your comment on that? I like your choice of the word tense because I felt the same thing. It all comes down to this. And uh, uh, Brady and Belichick being on the same channel and moving the ball, grinding it out. But uh, the late, great Joe Garagiola uh, who liked the designated hitter rule, for instance, said people don't go to the ballpark to watch the manager think, which the manager in the National League has to do more because the pitcher goes to the plate. So am I going to keep him in? Am I going to pinch hit for him? It's more of a chess game, three moves ahead. And uh, living as we do in Red Sox Nation, we're more attuned to the offense. We are an American League mindset, and we want to see a grand slam so, uh, like I said about next year's ratings, will the flatness of this year's broadcast uh, disappoint people? Has it lowered the bar? The hype on the commercials before the fact uh, and the reality of the commercials during the game. There were a couple that were kind of cute, but the Super Bowl seems to be taking itself too seriously now. And uh, there's something else that's been playing out for a year, which we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Colin Kaepernick is the face of it. And suddenly we've got uh, Roger Goodell uh, in a, a handsome preppy sport coat strolling through the uh, inner city in Atlanta with Dr. King's daughter. It bordered on pandering, I thought. Mm, well, uh, it, it is a show for sure. And uh, everything that the word show means. Interesting um, about the commercials. That's another aspect uh, of this game that I found uh, fascinating. Uh, with all of the expectation that the advertising agencies have on their shoulders to come up with these great commercials. I think years ago they lost it. I think that um, it's sizzle without substance in many cases. And you're not in a mindset when you're watching a Super Bowl to to, to get into this little mini drama that um, comes and goes and then is juxtaposed to something that's completely different. I don't know. It just seems all pretentious at this point, as opposed to, hey, look at those commercials that they're playing on the Super Bowl. They're pretty good. Yeah, I guess it's the beginning of the commercial season for all these agencies, and they're trotting out all their new stuff. It just seems like 
it's form without substance at this point. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? As I was listening around to talk radio uh, early this morning, and we're having this conversation the day after the Super Bowl, uh, I'm in Rhode Island, and I had Gene Valicenti on WPRO, and he was asking people which commercials they like, and they were talking about local commercials that were in the Super Bowl. And we are reminded of uh, Tip O'Neill, you know, all politics is local, and we tend to think of Budweiser with the Clydesdale and the puppy but this was an opportunity for the local advertiser to shine, obviously at a fraction of the cost, to reach a fraction of the audience. And as you have said on uh, many occasions, the Super Bowl may be the last remaining moment where we're all looking at the same thing. Uh, you don't get good ratings for the Oscars anymore. Uh, we are, as I say, the day before what will be a very controversial State of the Union speech postponed in a, a test of wills between the president and the speaker. That may get a good number, as we say in ratings lingo. But I wonder if the net-net on this year's Super Bowl will be disappointment. We all showed up, but we kind of shrugged. Hmm. Do you think that... Uh the money that is spent on these commercials on the Super Bowl is worth it at all to these sponsors? Or is this an ego display? Is this a prestige item at this point? I just can't imagine how, you know, I think it's something like $5 million every 30 seconds. I mean, it's insane when you think about it. And the messages come and the messages go. I think repetition is an important part. You know, frequency is an important part of the whole psychological process of getting a message across. Uh, it's an awful lot of money, isn't it? And you got one shot. Uh, don't sneeze. You'll miss it. What if you mm -hmm. went to the bathroom during that commercial, I'd love to be a fly on the wall a year earlier in the conference room at the ad agency for the pitch when they storyboard these commercials and then they look around the room and see if everybody resonates on it. The test was how did it play in the conference room as opposed to how it plays on air. I would love to have been in the conference room for the pitch for we are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. You know, did they bring in singers to do it? Uh, did the Don Draper character sing it? Uh, there's this inside-the-box sense. And I imagine that by the time it airs on the Super Bowl, they may have focus-grouped it or something. We know that people love the puppies and the Budweiser commercial. Uh, I thought the Turkish Airlines commercial was very classy, but I'm still not going to go to Turkey. And uh, <laughs> Nor necessarily to the movies. <laughs> yeah, you know, this thing about the... Uh, um, Corn syrup was uh, obviously uh, an effort to differentiate Bud Light from its competitors. Uh, we'll see if corn syrup matters that much to people. But back to the Turkish Airlines commercial and spots for a couple of uh, movies where they showed you the trailer. I thought the deft use of the commercial time within the Super Bowl was to invite you to consume something else at your convenience, on demand, online. You notice how CBS, the television network, but the CBS brand is no longer just the television network because they don't have enough airtime for all the shows they're doing. And you saw this in the Super Bowl. They've got this Star Trek series that only streams, but they promote it on network TV. 
And last night we saw the Black Rod Serling and we learned that there will be a Twilight Zone revival streaming from CBS. And we have no indication that this will end up on network TV, but they're using network TV to invite us to sample it. And maybe if enough people stream in, it'll end up on network TV. Is this the new triple A league for the majors? And is over the air TV still major league uh, in an era where Netflix is now the biggest TV network in the world, which is the tale and which is the dog? Well, I'll tell you something. It's very interesting uh, the way you're presenting this. Uh, if, in fact, everybody starts watching The Twilight Zone or uh, Star Trek Discovery that you just mentioned, which, by the way, I actually took a, a $5.99 or whatever it is per month subscription to CBS All Access because I'm a Star Trek fan and I wanted to see this new Star Trek. So I'm in my second year of that and, uh, you know, have been enjoying it to a certain degree. Um, it's, it still buffers a little bit, and that annoys the heck out of me. But if everybody starts watching these programs on streaming services, what would be the purpose of bringing it to network TV? The streaming services would replace network TV as the main medium, as Netflix is proving to do. I think Netflix. I mean, I mean, when I when I when I make speeches uh, at events, and I'm or I'm writing, or I'm I'm on the radio talking to the public. Every time I reference Netflix, I'm guaranteed to get waves of recognition back at me as opposed to, well, no, I don't know Netflix. I don't watch Netflix. Uh, Netflix is now um, one of the most used platforms. You don't think of it as, you know, a, an Internet product. You think of it as a major network. Could we be seeing a shift away from the old idea of over the air or cable television as we as we've grown up with it i think we already have uh it will be realized it will be conspicuous it is going to be more obvious in the rearview mirror it's like a recession you don't know you've been in one until it's almost over it's uh, two consecutive quarters of negative gross domestic product so you know there's a, a lagging indicator and uh, almost a million people cut the cord in the usa in the fourth quarter and they may end up aggregating $5.99 here, $11.99 there. They may end up aggregating enough over-the-top TV subscriptions to equal the cable bill that they canceled. But they took control by making their own menu of TV. The Upstart Pluto TV app, which is uh, 100 or so free channels, movies, sports, not all the channels you want. A lot of channels you never heard of. They just got bought by Viacom for 300-something million dollars. So that will bring the Pluto TV cord cutters a bunch of Viacom channels. And Viacom, which was very late to the streaming video party, uh, suddenly has 27 million Pluto TV users. So this is shaking out before our very eyes. And we tend to think that it is something that is unfolding. Measurably, it has already unfolded. The user I... has taken control. And the legacy programmers, the, the networks, the establishment media are scrambling to catch up. I watch uh, CBSN, the CBS News streaming channel. Uh, you can watch it on your phone. You can watch it on your iPad. It's on my smart TV. 
And when they bump into the commercials, I love the language that they use. They say, you're streaming CBSN, which you are, but it sounds hip and contemporary, and it implies favoritism. It implies that you've chosen it. You're streaming CBSN. And I'm reminded, I, you might have even been with me in New York years ago at some media event, uh, a scrum where a bunch of reporters were focused on a person talking and there was a camera with a big seven on it, WABC Eyewitness News. And next to that, there was a camera with a one on it. And that was New York One, the cable news channel in New York. And they were both covering the same event. They were both going to do the same story. But the camera with the seven on it was hobbled by gazillions of dollars of debt that somebody paid to purchase that license at some point. And the New York one was just doing the story. They didn't have to have a transmitter because they were on the same cable system Channel 7 is on. So we tend to view this as a, a glacier in motion. But I think it's already been a tsunami. People have taken control of their menu. And nobody loves their cable company except for Internet access. It's interesting that uh, the... Um uh, the the um, cost of these stations uh, has put these mega corporations into such debt as you pointed out with the uh, prize that they were supposed to have being the exclusivity of that limited access band, you know, called the TV dial or the AM or FM radio dial. And if suddenly people can broadcast to an equal, if not greater number of people on the free internet dial, uh, it really does diminish the value of those licenses. And we are seeing And the franchise it. itself, you know, the programming franchise, 10, 12 years ago, the uh, NBC affiliate in San Francisco was for sale and NBC really wanted it. And they got outbid by somebody else and they yanked the franchise. And now the NBC affiliate for San Francisco is a TV station in San Jose, but it doesn't matter as long as it's available in San Francisco. Mm. So the uh, network franchise, look what happened uh, when CBS, when was it, 20 years ago, they didn't renew their NFL package and they lost a bunch of affiliates in big markets, Atlanta, Detroit, and elsewhere, to Fox because they outbid CBS for the NFL. So at some point, the legacy broadcasters were jousting for this franchise content because people would follow it to their platform. This is why Howard Stern went to Sirius. He was selling radios. Another reason he went was the FCC was torturing him. But people followed the content to the new platform. Don't think that if you've affiliated with a network that has the content that you get a free ride now because, and this will get into uh, the weeds a little, but I know how many media junkies listen to your podcast. The TV station has to give the cable system permission to include the TV station on the cable system. It's called retransmission consent. So money is flowing from the cable system to the TV station for permission to resell the TV station to cable consumers. And now the network, which is paying through the nose for the NFL and Major League Baseball and all that, is now taking some of that money from the affiliate station. 
And we have seen how the Internet has disintermediated all kinds of middlemen. Who wants to be a stockbroker, a bookstore, a travel agent, or an insurance agency anymore in the age of the Internet? Is that local TV transmitter still juice, or could the network simply put a paywall up and sell this expensive sports or other programming the way Netflix does for yes. cash. Same thing's happening with record companies and book publishers and sure. and, and, and all of those uh, media. What about the commercial? You know, the, we talk, We started this conversation talking about these 60 and 30 second or 10 second spots. I love the word spots. And um, it seems to me that with time being worth money, and when uh, so-called free media has the consumer pay for it by giving up time to watch a commercial, that people no longer uh, consider it free and uh, will pay money, as Sirius XM satellite radio proves, they'll pay money to save the time of sitting through commercial loads. So one of the things I say is that the biggest problem facing commercial media today is the institution of the commercial. What do you think uh, media is going to do about the commercial? At the risk of activating my uh, Amazon Echo device in this room, I'm going to uh, say something. And it is the sentence that has never been spoken. And the sentence is, Alexa, please play six commercials. You know, this is what the radio listener is. Can you find songs by six commercials? <laughs> there she is. <laughs> What'd she say? Uh, I couldn't I hear. Did she I say you're find crazy? songs by six commercials. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, this is how radio is torturing people. And once you have her, I don't dare say her name again because it's going to activate her and probably thousands of them around the world who are listening. Uh, but when you have her, you can cut out the middleman and you can just say, play Crosby, Stills and Nash. And she will. And you don't have to sit through the six commercials. So, again, the middleman is disintermediated. We're cutting out the middleman because we have subscribed. And I get the Crosby, Stills and Nash music because I am Amazon Prime. It was worth Amazon Prime just for the free shipping. But I also get all these TV shows, uh, including movies, which I could get somewhere else. That's a commodity. But I'm getting original programming that Amazon built, just like Netflix. And when you hear people, when you eavesdrop and when you overhear people talk about the shows they're watching, I'm hearing them talk about Ozarks, uh, a Netflix original. I just started just now in early 2019 breaking bad the show is years old i was late to the party but i wasn't really because there's no element of time to it exactly. i can start watching whenever i want and when i pause that's the it, point that's the whole point you're not late it'll to the remind party. me where i left off you know yeah you're not late to the party that's the nature of the party the party starts whenever you want it to and that's part of the um allure of Netflix, not only have they spent something like $3 billion on programming last year for excellent shows that I don't know whether these are movies or they're TV shows. They're sort of a hybrid between the two. Uh, the movie theaters do not have the best theatrical entertainments anymore. Netflix has them. There are shows Nor does on HBO. I think the stuff on Netflix is better. Yeah, the stuff on Netflix is redefining the highest bar of quality in 
in in entertainment uh, that we would once consider to be the theatrical film theater release, you know, movie stars, movies from the big studios, Warner Brothers, Universal. That was always considered the the height, the top of the uh, food chain in terms of quality. Uh, Shows like The Crown and shows uh, uh, all of these shows you've mentioned on services such as Netflix. I think Netflix is clearly the leader. Game of Thrones, etc., have redefined this hybrid that's sort of between a TV show, but that sort of sounds too diminished, and a full-length film, which these surpass. And they they go on and on, and the whole nature of the algorithms or whatever it is that Netflix has created where it's all nicely laid out for you. You can watch Breaking Bad Season 1, Season 2, Season 3. You can watch them in order. It's all laid out. Old shows like Cheers and Frasier are there as well. The binge-watching has also change the psychology of what it is to watch a product, uh, a, a visual product uh, on a screen. That, I think, is as much a breakthrough as just the quality of the programming. Yeah, but uh, back to the commercials, the uh, meetings that they're having this morning in those same conference rooms at the ad agencies. All right, whose idea was that? It was mm-hmm. awful. You know, there's going to be a lot of blame game going on for the yawning. That's funny. Uh, and on the front end of this, the free prize inside, if you're going to pay the $5.5 million for the 30 seconds, the free prize inside is all the pregame hype where they leak clips of the commercials. Or that commercial with the 44 present and legendary NFL players in the banquet hall there. Uh, you know, they leaked some of the outtakes. So they've added value to the $5.5 million because you're already tuning into the brand. But... Uh, we don't uh, want to watch or listen to bad commercials. We have no complaint with good commercials because it's storytelling at its best. The Anheuser-Busch puppies and Clydesdales will always be welcome. And that gauzy morning in America production quality that they have. But we don't need to sit through obnoxious commercials, especially for a boring game. Well, do you think there's a point at which, though, even the good commercials become a tune-out because you've seen them? Like, how many times does one—I I know you can't answer this specifically, but it's sort of a rhetorical question. How many times does it take for one to watch a really great commercial before they say, uh, I've seen this, and they've already— turned everybody else onto it. You know, there's that commercial I was telling you about. Well, when that person's already seen it, isn't there a point at which it becomes, oh gosh, you roll your eyes and you just don't want to watch it again? Not if it rubs you the right way. And Hmm. you and I know this from music radio where you never get sick of your favorite song. I will sit in the car with the key on accessories. If I pulled into the parking space and the Temptations just started singing My Girl. Hmm. And when the music stations that still bother to do so uh, do their music research, uh, they gather a bunch of people in an auditorium and they give them those paddles and you get to like or dislike uh, 15 or 20 seconds of a bunch of songs. And then they uh, crunch all those numbers in a computer and they come up with a playlist rotation. And I know how clinical and lab coat this sounds, but uh, that's how they tell us what they think we want to hear. And uh, I'll sit there uh, with the key on accessories because I always want to hear that song. But a couple of sentences ago, you alluded to the algorithm. 
And when you're scrolling that Netflix menu, you notice they never just give you a list of all the shows that are on there. But they know what other people who watched the shows you like also like. So they are also letting you program, but by suggestion, instead of by providing something that the lab rats and the auditorium liked, uh, they are inviting you to binge or to sample what your peers, your preferential peers also liked. And there, even on the Netflix menu, there's this horizontal bar called shows you might like or something akin to that. Or if you watched Orange is the New Black, you know, they'll give you some shows that people who like that also like. So they're feeling their way around to get us to use it more and more because, like cable, they don't want you to cancel. It's a yes. pretty sweet deal. You know, yes. that hits your credit card like clockwork every oh, month. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And people people tend to forget how to cancel these things, and it's just not that much money. So they let it go another month, another month, and sometimes they forget they're even subscribing to it. But that whole uh, uh, situation that you've described is extremely sophisticated audience research. It's it's very, very sophisticated um, digital era uh, programming uh, audience targeting. And uh, it's amazing watching it happen. And they take nothing for granted, you know, when they're selling for cash. And money can be tight. You know, lately uh, we feel in a spending mood. Suppose oil goes above uh, 100 a barrel and everybody uh, buckles down. You know, the automakers are wandering away from sedans. Maybe they wander back to subcompacts if we go through another recession. So Netflix, uh, Sirius XM satellite radio, they want to keep your pin in the map to the extent that just try to cancel Sirius XM. They won't let you. You got the free 90 days or six months when you bought the new car. And then when that's up, if you say, uh, well, I enjoyed it, but I'm not going to keep it. They will give you another teaser rate for another six months. And a uh, pal of mine is one of a number of uh, amigos who have it in the uh, car they bought. And they just call back every six months and say, turn me off. And they won't. They'll give you the teaser rate for another six months because they've got to keep that pin in the map mm-hmm. they can't yeah, they take you for granted if it's yeah. cash they don't want to lose even if audience it's less numbers. cash yeah no it's fascinating which means you can deal folks you can make a deal and you mentioned earlier when we were talking about alexi you refer to alexi as her like you, you know you you gave it um a little more human attributes by providing a gender to the female voice became a her um Psychologically, using yourself as your um, as your uh, focus group, do you think of Alexi as as having human qualities, or is it just a uh, cold robot to you? Well, I think it's a clever robot because, like uh, the Netflix menu, she's learning me, hmm. and some people consider that creepy. But uh, your listeners can Google the future of voice and the implications for news which is a research project you can download. Reuters Institute and the University of Oxford have done research in the USA and the UK on these smart speakers, these intelligent concierge devices uh, that we are adopting like crazy. And one of the data points is that people use the word her when they talk about it. So it's a friendly front end. 
the internet was a murky place until Netscape came along and then Google came along and these browsers got friendly. And uh, even if you don't know the domain name, if you type in what you're looking for in the search bar, Google will suggest where you may want to click. So they're learning us. Uh, we'd like to think she's not listening until we say her name. But do we know? No, we don't uh, know. We you don't know, if know. you get a piece of electrical tape over the uh, camera on your laptop, uh, our smart TVs uh, doing more than just noticing our viewing patterns. The, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. I laughed out loud when I read this story about uh, Alexa in New Hampshire and a parrot was jabbering away during the day and the <laughs> device misconstrued what the parrot was saying and and the owner okay see asking tell me a parrot fact to learn more about them i don't know if you can hear that but i i, I lit her up you know uh, so the owner comes home and the parrot's been jabbering away and apparently uh, a week earlier was jabbering enough that the owner comes home and there's a crate in the driveway and the parrot ordered a water heater. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of creepy to use that word that you brought up, that yeah. Alexa has been listening to you while we're talking and, um, you know, reacting. Uh, which, Voice which, recognition. You know, they misrecognized what the parrot was jabbering, which right. is like the chimpanzees typing on the keyboard. You know, it made just enough sense that she connected the dots. But, but you know, we're in the, the, the Model T era of AI and VR virtual reality reality you know the in my lifetime alone the history of media has been to try to recreate reality um go and and when you go back before our lifetimes i mean when people went to see old charlie chaplin movies that were flickery and they were in funny speed because the hand crank cameras and they were they were not very high fidelity at all people didn't say oh look at this primitive movie we're watching it was the height of moder modernity modernity it was very very modern and um the the brain filled in the rest. Uh, remember when hi-fi first came around, probably when you were a little kid, those speakers sounded so real and then stereo and, and then, you know, television went color and then television got more high definition. It's, it's keeps trying to recreate reality. Well, virtual reality. Now we're on the verge of actually recreating reality um, and then it gets into all kinds of science fiction scenarios that there are societies out there, you know, as we look for alien life that are, we don't see them because they're all living in their pods and their chambers and their virtual reality uh, worlds. There's no reason to venture off their planets. They have everything they want in their minds. And then, of course, there is a gigantic movement out there that says that we are living in a virtual reality simulation like the movie The Matrix. The, a lot of scientists and a lot of leading business people subscribe to that where do you think you know uh, off the top of your head uh artificial intelligence and virtual reality are heading in terms of the, what i described the rewiring of the human nervous system and this brave new world that we're entering it already happened and any parent with teenagers can tell you about the expression wait what you know they were in the matrix and they uh, heard uh, a couple of keywords off in the distance, so you have to repeat it. You know, they've already gone into the bubble, and those who are monetizing the bubble are scrambling 
recycling. They take nothing for granted. Sirius XM doesn't want you to cancel. Even what the marketers call the powerful first mover advantage is evident in the conversation we're having because we keep using terms like Netflix generically. Uh, Netflix is the scotch tape of on-demand subscription over-the-top TV. There's a bunch of them, mm -hmm. but we've now uh, turned it into Kleenex, Magic Marker, uh, Scotch Tape, Netflix. Mm -hmm. uh, they are not taking us for granted. They just raised the price again, and uh, the stock market loved it, and uh, the viewers, the subscribers seem undaunted so far, but uh, there's a lot of temptation out there because somebody's going to come along for slightly less. Amazon is now rolling out a free streaming package, and you know it's going to be the freemium model, where if you like this, for a couple of bucks more, you can get that. I don't dare say her name anymore because she's going to light up, but if I ask A-L-E-X-A <laughs> to play the Beach Boys, she will play California Girls because that's included in the 2 million songs that Amazon Prime members get. But if I want good vibrations, I have to upgrade to the 14 million songs. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> One more thing I want to throw at you. Uh, this whole movement of deep fakes that uh, is starting, where back to the virtual reality and the artificial intelligence and media um, replacing reality, um, we uh, have come to depend upon video evidence, audio evidence as Ouch. as evidence. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, I, I personally think the day is going to come when uh, we could go see a Clark Gable movie that Clark Gable never made and not know that that's not Clark Gable, that people will be programming reality on keyboards and they won't even be using keyboards. They'll be telling uh, Alexa, if you'll pardon the expression, to, to, you know, let's make a new Beatles record, that we'll be able to create anything uh, through technology that uh, is not just an approximation of the real thing, but is the real thing on a higher level, on steroids, uh, which... For entertainment uh, has enormous implications for evidence of truth, uh, talking it from a journalistic point of view as to, oh, the camera doesn't lie or the, the microphone doesn't lie. Uh, it will lie. Isn't this an extraordinary uh, development in terms of media? Ever since I saw Forrest Gump shake hands with President Kennedy and moon President Johnson, I don't believe anything. And uh, your fellow podcaster, Mo Rocca, uh, featured on uh, CBS Sunday Morning recently, uh, does a, a series of podcasts called Mobituaries. And it's worth a listen to the one about Vaughn Meter. And you have to be our age to remember who Vaughn Meter was. But when John Kennedy won the White House, this was an impressionist, an impersonator who had a uh, record album. And it was a groundbreaking comedy record album called The First Family. And the first time you heard him, you thought it was President Kennedy. And this guy died sad uh, and uh, drunk and drug dependent uh, because his life was never the same after the assassination. He became the act he was faking. Yeah, uh, and yeah. and uh, so, you know, after Forrest Gump shook hands with the president, uh, I'm skeptical of anything because we can all Photoshop a little mem for uh, Twitter and will everybody know it's for real? 
Right. So between the democratization of media, where you could be out there on equal footing with CBS and CNN and MSNBC and The New York Times and the uh, evolution of deep fakes, this whole idea of fake news and, uh, you know, being a discriminating uh, viewer, reader, consumer of news, it's getting it, it, it's going to a whole higher level of confusion. And uh, I think the very uh, pillars of democracy are uh, in jeopardy um, in terms of going forward uh, in in a society trying to come to some type of a reasonable agreement as to what is real and what is not. And, yeah, lots uh, of luck, too. You know, this is all too convenient. Uh, being from talk radio as we are, we learned a long time ago that part of the uh, magic of talk radio is that issues will never be resolved and no minds are being changed. And it's a chance to vent for uh, the little guy. And the social media took it to the next level because now you don't even need the radio anymore. There's people out there venting on Twitter and Facebook. And I'd like to think that some of these soreheads are much nicer in person, but they found a place to vent. And we don't want information we want affirmation. And anything which challenges your predisposition, it's just too convenient to dismiss as fake news because Forrest Gump shook the president's hand. And the resentment that this president uh, cashiered uh, into a ticket to the White House is very powerful. We choose to believe what we choose to believe, and we can express it and we can consume those channels that uh, claim it is so. And there you have it, a conversation with media consultant and host of The Big Picture on RT America, Holland Cook. To learn more about Holland Cook, check out his website, hollandcook.com. That's Holland, C-O-O-K-E, dot com. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and the Podcast One app, and for following our Tuesday tweets announcing the names of our weekly guests. To sign up, it's at MHinterview. I can be reached directly via email at michaelatalkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The Michael Harrison Interview. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Interview is a presentation of Podcast One produced in association with Talkers Magazine and Good Phone Communications. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.